Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This week, we're going to consider sustainable energy sources once more. My guest for today is a specialist in the area, as you'd expect. He's worked in the field of consultancy and data analytics for over a decade, with the majority of his time being spent working in the UK energy sector. He's an expert at deriving insight from large volumes of data and is able to make commercial sense of low-level technical and data issues. He's currently Chief Technology Officer at NSEC, which provides software to the energy companies. Welcome, James Kirk. Hi. James, obviously we all want to reduce our carbon footprint. I wonder if you could tell me um, most of the obvious steps have been taken, I assume. Uh, what sort of advice would you offer companies and individuals? Most of the obvious steps where they're easy have been taken already, but I think uh, a number of new technologies are still coming along and there's still significant investment in this area. I think what's an obvious step tomorrow may not be today. I think a lot of companies are clearly looking at how they significantly reduce their carbon footprint and, and indeed aim for carbon negativity as well. And we're in, involve a significant amount of investment on their part to not just implement technologies, but also create a lot of new ones. So I, I think there's still plenty more to do in this space. For the time being, I think most people will have in their homes been swapping out for LED light bulbs and clearly most appliances are becoming less energy consuming as, as time goes on. There's still definitely a, a lot more to do in this space. And, and actually, in order to com complete the picture and, um, and, and reduce it further, I think pushing to localised energy generation and storage uh, will be a fairly key aspect as well. So I think maybe we've taken all the obvious steps today, but I, I do think there's still plenty more that can be done in this space and it will become obvious in the very near future what they will be. Yes, indeed, I suppose there's also things like the fact that you can't get some of the uh, more energy intensive stuff. I mean, if you wanted to go and buy an old fashioned higher voltage light bulb, I'm not sure where I'd go. No, absolutely. Um, light bulbs, microwaves, those sorts of things. There's an awful lot of legislation that's come in, which makes it very difficult to, uh, if not impossible, to buy those things now. So I think over time, as, uh, as those older devices are replaced, clearly that will drive down the carbon footprint quite naturally. I, mean, yeah. I guess on the other side, there's a drive to increase electricity consumption particularly. And, and so um, with more and more connected devices in the homes and, you know, I, I think electricity usage as well, given that the gas gas has fallen out of favour and we're likely to move towards electric heating and those sorts of things will, will, will become an interesting dynamic over the years to come. Yeah, I suppose that had never occurred to me, but also electronic vehicles, that's got to be another major source of um, electricity consumption, assuming it takes off. And it, it almost certainly will, because the government's trying to stop people selling uh, traditional cars by 2030, I believe, is the latest figure I've seen. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a big push towards electric vehicles, and, and they're very much in the now. You know, Electric vehicle sales are, are definitely on the up. They are also driving the single biggest change in the patterns of consumption on the national grid in the UK. So, yeah, they're definitely going to have a, a big impact broader than just on the carbon footprint, actually, but on the overarching infrastructure that is needed to support the growth in that space moving forward. That makes sense. Now, 
I was reading around this a little bit. I understand that at the beginning of the year, the UK was using renewables actually more than fossil fuels. That did surprise me. I was very pleased. But how's that gone since coronavirus kicked off? We've all had um, a lot less choice. And of course, there's been an awful lot more sort of just just clinging on rather than worrying terribly about things like ecological issues. We did see a few peaks for renewables in, at the start of the year and certainly wind energy creating more energy, putting more energy onto the national grid than any other sources at, at several points throughout the course of this year. In terms of the renewable mix, it was pretty flat throughout the early stages of the COVID scenario, but I guess that just reflects the time of year largely. We're into a time of year now where le less energy is used, less people are heating their homes, uh, you don't need to put the lights on as early, and so the total amount of energy that needs to be generated is lower. And therefore, renewables are playing sort of more of a part right now than they would have been back at the start of the year where it was a bit colder. We've hit a new record relatively recently in terms of the peak renewable capacity on the national grid. At one point in July, I think it got to 87% of all of the energy within a half hour period was from renewables. So that, that was a new peak. And certainly through the summer, we've been, been averaging, I think, in the 40% in terms of this total renewable energy that's being put onto the grid for those months. So it's definitely very interesting. And the one thing that is a definite pattern this year and, and recent months and years more so than it has been historically is that power generated by coal is almost non-existent in the UK now. That's fine, sorry. Uh, and the thing that occurs to me is that this is interesting, but I do wonder how much difference to the overall fuel consumption and carbon footprint, etc., that the UK can actually make. I mean, we know China or America just in terms of sheer size. Particularly the US in terms of sheer size and their energy consumption per capita is among the highest in the world, as well as the fact that they have a significant number of people. So that clearly whatever they do is going to make a big difference in the world. But it really is a scenario where you can make a little bit of a difference on your own, but clearly everybody needs to get together to drive energy consumption down overall. I guess they're also taking advantage of the same lower carbon technologies and devices, so, so they will be making their way in. But uh, they're certainly a significant emitter in the world right now. And among everybody else, we really do all need to be doing our bit. Um, so, yeah, I don't I particularly want to get into political... Uh, political angles, but things like pulling out of the Paris Agreement clearly is, is quite disappointing with, with the US. That makes a great deal of sense. In terms of how we grow out of coronavirus, though, stuff like that, my sources inform me, or to put it another way, your accredited uh, public relations uh, people inform me, uh, that you feel quite strongly about how renewables can make a positive contribution to the e economy as we uh, start to grow again. Can you tell us something about that? If we look at history as an indicator of this, after the last recession, one of the key sectors that contributed towards our recovery was the renewable energy sector. And, and that was at a time where it wasn't particularly trendy. We didn't have uh, huge protests going on and a, and a huge global movement pushing for us to start actually taking responsibility for our actions. I think that paired with the fact that Britain has the perfect combination of engineering capability and infrastructure and, and the right sort of environment to drive some of these businesses, as well as you know, leading 
scientific and educational establishments out there. I, I think Britain really can and indeed is playing quite a significant part in uh, the push towards cleaner, more renewable energy technologies. And I think it would be a real shame if we weren't to capitalise on that coming out of the back of the coronavirus pandemic period and really sort of double down on that. You know, there's, there's a big push to try and get towards carbon neutrality or, or, or certainly push closer to it as a result of COVID. And yeah, I, I genuinely do think that we are in the perfect place to actually do that. Okay, a low carbon recovery sounds ideal. What do we have to do as a society, as a corporate UK, I suppose, uh, to make that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a number of factors and we clearly, coming out of the back of any sort of unprecedented world event like this is going to be difficult and the government have got a lot of tough decisions to make. But from the off, clearly there needs to be a sensible amount of support from the top in order to drive this. And I guess that means creating the right environment for those new businesses to set up, making sure that the regulatory landscape is acceptable and, and indeed making sure that people can build successful businesses in the UK without the constraints of government oversight or difficult tax regimes or whatever it may be. Now, I think that that's a key thing. I, th I think we've already got the people, I think we've already got the infrastructure and I think we are capable of innovating in this way but I do think the sort of economic environment does need to support it if we're going to really maximise the opportunity that's ahead of us. Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note guy at clapperton.co.uk and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, the other side of this, of course, is if I had a job in the non-renewable sector, I might be quite worried or I might even think that uh, the American president and others are securing my position for me. What if you did have a job in a uh, an industry or in energy production in a non-renewable sort of way, should you be scanning the situations vacant? I'd know more about the UK position than the world position in terms of the number of new power stations being built and what, what technologies that they're using. I think it's a global trend that there's a push towards renewable technologies. I, I guess the question is whether everywhere in the world can get there fast enough to not need coal-fired or gas-fired power stations, ultimately. The US, clearly, under the current regime, have, have a bunch of reasons why they might want to sustain a coal industry, and you know, it's good for some, some parts of their economy and, and some parts of the country, indeed, and bad for others. I think they will get there eventually, and I think the responsible thing to do is to accept that there'll be some amount of development of those technologies still moving forwards, but we should expect it to be substantially reduced as renewable technologies become cheaper and more available moving forwards. And, and certainly battery storage is a key in a renewable landscape or, or some, some form of effective storage because not everybody wants to use energy at the point at which the wind's blowing or the sun's shining. So there does need to be a substantial more, amount more infrastructure in place before 
we can have a 100% renewable energy system globally. It's a, it's a harder challenge for the US, I would guess, just because there's a lot more of it and it's a lot more distributed as well. In the UK, we, we do have the advantage that we're on a relatively small island um, for our population and so nowhere is too far away. The other thing that has happened to us and the rest of the world, it will be mentioned it several times, of course, is COVID-19 and lockdown. That's led overall to a reduction in fuel demand because of travel. I think, of course, there's been house heating and things like that, which has pushed it up slightly. But overall, I believe the um, direction has been down. Do you see that continuing? And, um, you know, I'm just wondering how that's going to affect the economy overall. I think we saw unprecedented reduction at the start of the lockdown period, clearly. Uh, there was... There was no travel. It was particularly warm for the time of year in the, in the UK. And, and so, you know, I, I don't think we'll see that level of reduction sustained for the long term. But I think as we look at a recovery from the coronavirus pandemic, again, you know, we have to accept that people's working patterns and, and the sort of way that people live their lives is likely to change. And so we should expect to see fewer people driving to work every day because businesses have actually had to accept that working from home can work and indeed many including including ours have seen some benefits off the back of having people not all in the office all of the time so i think it is true that the pattern will definitely change i think what made the biggest impact at the start of the pandemic though was the shutdown of industry I think that's the thing that that drove the biggest the biggest downward shift and and clearly most factories and industrial operations are now back and operating in some capacity and and they haven't done anything to reduce their energy consumption as a result of uh, that that time out so you know we should expect it to bounce back a bit but the trend is definitely downwards as we push towards electric heating and those sorts of things in the sort of medium-term future. Okay, so how do energy providers forecast and indeed hedge against any such further reductions in the future? It's a very difficult game. And for many years, energy suppliers have been trying to balance two sides of a paradox. You know, their income is derived from supplying energy and the amount of energy that people buy dictates their revenues. But at the same time, they've got government regimes pushing them to reduce the overall energy consumption. And so... In answer to how they balance the question, or at least balance the demand on the system, it's a very, very difficult thing to predict right now. And this has led to a number of issues in the balancing systems and the national grid processes in the last few years. You know, we had a blackout for the first time in a long time in London last year, which is as a result of some issues on the grid. And it's a very difficult challenge. I mean, there's a lot of investment in smarter networks, smart grids and indeed a lot more telemetry around the system to understand where problems are. There's also a lot of infrastructure that needs bolstering in order to support increased use of the electricity network to support electric vehicles and the likes and and electrified heating. And as I mentioned as well, you know, renewable technologies are unpredictable by their very nature. So you can't easily plan very far into the future as to when the wind might be blowing or the sun might be shining. And so the smart money would be on a combination of those technologies plus very rapid turnaround storage technologies so that you don't have to predict the future quite so precisely. 
Okay, now I know your own specialism is in data. I'm just wondering what contribution data and analytics is making to the shape of the energy industry overall. And also, do please feel free to tell us a bit about uh, what NSEC actually does. You've been gracious enough not to push your own agenda, but I'm sure listeners will want to know more about uh, where you're coming from. Data plays a massive part in every aspect of our life nowadays. So from a renewables energy and an energy grid perspective, there's been a push for several years towards smart metering technologies, uh, and, and that gives us the ability to understand where the usage is and spot the patterns. And not all of this supports the, the previous point of predicting the future. In my role at NSEC, we focus primarily on the, the retail side of the energy industry and the supply of energy to consumers. And, and in that space, we're using data to try and drive better customer experiences, and make sure that we're, we're serving customers to the best of our ability to make good recommendations and to drive that sort of really modern customer service experience that you would, that you would expect having been using services like Amazon in the likes of many years. So at Fensec, we provide software for energy retail businesses primarily to allow them to serve their customers better and operate still in a compliant and efficient way in the industry. So, but data's everywhere. It's growing exponentially. Technologies around how we handle it and use that for good, certainly all evolving all of the time. And the people that seem to win in the world of modern commerce nowadays definitely uh, have a lot vested in predictive systems and systems that enable them to use data to their advantage when serving their customers. Okay, and finally, when can people find out more about you and what you do? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, so they can definitely look me up on LinkedIn if they like. And also nsec.com, our company website, will give you a reasonable view as to what I've been doing for the last few years. But uh, yeah, feel free to look me up on LinkedIn and send me a message if you're interested in the chat. James Kirk, Chief Technology Officer of NSEC, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or, of course, my media training site at remotemediatraining.com. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening.